the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are supposed to rule over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man also came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, we've been here for about 15 minutes, give or take, and we've already read or listened to selections from four different books. Maybe that's not very impressive to you, or maybe, maybe that even bothers you a little bit, but I'm one of those weirdos that actually likes to read, so I always appreciate how we begin our service reading from various books. And of course, the, the catalog, the library of books that I'm referring to is the Bible. The Bible is a word that simply means library because it is a collection of no less than 66 books. And this will be our topic this morning. The past couple of weeks we've been exploring God. We've been asking and discussing some basic questions about life and Christianity. Does life have a purpose? Does God exist? If God exists, then why is there pain and suffering? Who is Jesus? If any of these questions interest you, I'd encourage you to visit our website at ctrfw.org, and you can hear a little more. I especially encourage you to listen to last week's message, uh, Who is Jesus? It was truly one of the best sermons I've heard in a long time. I feel okay saying that because I wasn't the one who preached it. It would be a little weird if I was saying that myself. You know. Today, though, we're, we're talking about the question, is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible reliable? And as we've been doing, I'd like us first to watch a short video hearing from various people throughout the world. The Bible, uh, for me, is a guidebook. I think it's inspired by God, and I do think it's filled with inaccuracies. From a you know, historical context, if you're like a literary studies person, the Bible is uh, um, just another text in, in many ways, and, and truth is, I, I guess I'm a bigger believer in empirical evidence, you know. It helped me figure out how to live in kind of this crazy world. The Bible is the most trustworthy book on the planet Earth. Uh, I personally don't think everything should be taken literally, and I think it's uh, dependent on the person, they should be able to interpret the Bible the way that they want to. 
there's plenty of things that even if you don't believe in God, there's plenty of things in the Bible that can improve your life, can, um, if you come to appreciate them, help you gain knowledge and wisdom, um, and help you to be a better person. controversial. <laughs> Thank you for asking. You'll see yourself in it. You'll see things and then it reminds you of yourself and it'll make you really want to change. you realize that that Bible's not lying to you but it's telling you truth. It's a, it's a storybook. Just like any book that you can buy at the library. It's just a, a storybook written by some people about some character. I think the values um, that are presented in the Bible and the stories I mean, they're all stories that apply to, to everyday life and things that have actually happened. So I think there's definitely truth and you can definitely trust in what it's saying. The Bible is still here. It, this book is almost 2,000 years old. It, it still exists for some reason. And to me, that stands out. That means something. It's not coincidence. Again, these people, they're, they're not actors with, with scripts. They're everyday common people who are just giving honest answers to honest questions and there are a variety of viewpoints concerning the bible we heard of just some that the, that the bible is not to be read literally that it's a it's a controversial book that it's the most important book that it's filled with inaccuracies and that it's it's a storybook what i found inter interesting about this video was that 80 percent of americans identify the Bible as sacred text, and yet only 43% of Christians believe it is accurate in its principles. Eight out of 10 Americans believe that the Bible is different. It is set apart. It is in some way unlike other books. Hopefully that isn't too surprising, and really the evidence would certainly suggest that. The Christian Bible is incredibly popular and it is hugely international <clears throat> if we are to compare the bible with other literature here are just some some staggering statistics the poet homer the, the great greek poet he's been translated into 40 languages 40 different languages it's not too bad for a starving poet shakespeare the great english poet maybe the most famous poet of all time has been translated into 60 languages. Homer and Shakespeare, it's, it's, it's impressive. What author wouldn't dream of his work being translated into 40 or 50 languages? But the Bible, the Bible completely, completely destroys them. The Bible has been translated into over 2,000 languages. That's well over 10 times more than any other book. Furthermore, the, the Bible is constantly and it's consistently a bestseller. 44 million copies of the Bible are sold every year. 44 million each year. That would be as if every man and woman and child living in Fort Worth would buy 44 copies of the Bible every year. That's a huge yearly number. And that is, that is a, a publisher's dream. That just, that just shows how the Bible is unquestionably and uniquely popular. But what is popular is not always reliable. I, I think anybody who's graduated high school knows that. We judge the reliability of the New Testament, particularly. We, we judge the reliability by the science 
called textual criticism. Simply put, textual criticism argues that the more manuscripts we have, and the earlier those manuscripts are, the less doubt there is on the original. The more manuscripts, the less time, the less doubt. So in the science of textual criticism, how does the New Testament compare with other ancient texts? Spoiler alert, it's not even a competition. Next slide, please. We have here a comparison of the New Testament compared with five other reliable texts. We have here when the author wrote the text, the earliest co copy, the, the time lapse between those and the number of copies. So for the first two, Rosas and Thucydides, I think I said that right, Thucydides? Rosas and Thucydides writing 400 years before Christ, the earliest copy being 900 years after Christ, so a 1,300-year time gap, and only eight copies in existence. Tacitus, Caesar, Livy each, with at least 900-year time gap between the original and the first copy, and all less than 20 copies. The New Testament, written in the first century, with as little as 40 years, that, that's, that's one generation, as much as 200 years, a couple generations, of a time gap between that original and the first full manuscript. And look how many copies. 5,000 in Greek, 10,000 in Latin, 9,300 other copies. That's almost 25,000 copies in several different languages. And compare that to a mere 20 or 8 copies. As I said, the comparison is not even a competition. One of the greatest textual critics of all time said this, in the variety and the fullness on which the evidence rests, the text of the New Testament stands absolutely and unapproachably alone of ancient prose writings. And based on that, no reasonable scholar can argue that. So if the Bible, and, and the New Testament in particular, is actually extremely reliable, why do less than half of Christians think that it's accurate in principle? I don't think this is a question of reliability. I, I think it's rather a question on how we read it. We saw in the video that there are various people that said the Bible is not to be read literally all the time. And that it, it, it contains some difficulties and that it's a storybook. And really, somewhat generally speaking, all of that is true. The Bible is a grand story. It's a great story that seeks to reveal who God is, how God interacts with his people, and what that means for us. It is a huge story that begins at the beginning with creation, and then it ends with a glorious and triumphant perfection. It's a massive story that we can choose to disregard, or we can choose to actually be a part of. I would suggest that, that everyone, Christians, atheists, agnostics, Muslims, Buddhists, apathetics, and all humanists, would all benefit if we read the Bible in two ways. The first way is with openness. Reading the Bible without 
any of preconceived notions or ideas or prejudices. We don't want to read something to affirm the views we already hold. But rather we want to read it with, with a courageous openness that lets the text speak for itself, let the text show us or to form our, our ideas. This is a lot easier said than it is done. And likewise, the second way is to read it as the author meant it. Also, extremely very difficult to do. We can't always know with certainty what the author is communicating, but we can sure come close, especially with the help of the author. Maybe we can talk about the, the great story, the grand story of the Bible in this way. First is creation, then being the fall of that creation, then being the redemption of that creation, and finally, the renewal. If we read the story with openness and the way the author meant it, some things really start to make sense. The first chapter, creation. The red thing is that we don't have to deny this. Everybody sees that there is creation. Creation is here, right? And yet matter cannot be created nor destroyed. That's science, right? So how are we here? The Christian theory is that God created everything out of nothing. Some people might claim that this is in contrast with, with Darwin and evolution and his book on the origin of species, but these are totally different theories and different books. If, if Genesis, the first book of the Bible, if Genesis was science, or if on the origin of species were religion, those two accounts would perhaps meet and perhaps conflict. But in order to conflict, they have to meet, and they, they simply don't meet. Darwin does not ask who created species or why. Darwin just asks how they appear. His answer is evolution by natural selection. Oceans, oceans of ink have been spilt and wasted on this confusion. The author of Genesis is not so much seeking to explain scientifically how things came, in, came into being, but more pro appropriately, who created them and why. If we read with openness, maybe we can see creation as something that God did for the sheer love and joy of it. So we have creation, then comes the fall of that creation. Thankfully, we don't have to argue this case either. We don't need a book to actually show us that Things and people are not as they should be. The world is messed up. I am messed up, and this is not shocking to anyone. However, a sad reality would be that, that knowing that there is this grave injustice, knowing that I will daily mess up, knowing that I always have to rely on my own strength, mess up time and time again, and at the end of the day, I will roll over and die. Pretty sad. But even in that sad story, there is still something called the reality of morality. We know right from wrong. We have an idea of right and wrong, so where did that come from? Maybe if we read the Old Testament with the openness and the way the author contained it, maybe we can see that there is a God who gives morality of right and wrong. Maybe there is a God who says, you can't do right by your own power. So not only will I help you, but I will also give you the means 
by which you can be in right relationship with the Creator and with others. Maybe the mess of humanity is actually our fault. And there is a God who is faithful in cleaning up our mess. The third reason for redemption. This is really the story of the New Testament and the Gospels in particular. Without these books, we are looking for redemption however we define it and however way we, we can. But because we are fallen, we are not going to succeed in finding redemption by ourselves. If we read the Gospels with openness, maybe we can see the, the, the extreme and the ultimate and the primary importance in Jesus in redemption. Maybe we can see that this was a man who, who claimed to be God, who said the things that God would say, and did the things God would do. Maybe when Jesus said, when I am lifted up on the cross, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself so that whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Maybe that's actually the, the redemption we're all looking for. Final renewal. This is everything from the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the present day and for all time. Unlike any other religion or philosophy, Christianity is not a set of timeless truths, but is actually a faith in a historical person and historical events. The most important being the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If the Bible, if, if the New Testament in particular, is not reliable, and the, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ never happened, then Christianity is a sham, and it is a mockery, and we are wasting our times here. But if it's not, if the New Testament is reliable, and the resurrection is, in fact, factual, then it is literally, not symbolically or not figuratively, it is literally the difference between life and death. John. John was a man who, who claimed to witness the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And after witnessing that, he wrote this. After Jesus rose from the dead, he did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That sounds like a really great invitation by the author to me and to, and to all of us. So I would just like to extend that invitation. Whether you are exploring or investigating or just want some sort of quick refresher, let's read one of the 66 books of the Bible. The Bible says, let's read the Gospel according to St. Mark. It clearly has the best title, right? The, the Good News According to Mark. We've actually been reading a number of chapters in, in uh, church on Sunday. So Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. It is action-packed, and it is actually written to non-Jews. <coughs> so the Gospel of Mark, 16 chapters before Halloween, two weeks away. Read this book with openness and the way the author intended it. And then you can ask yourself, is it reliable? And is this a story 
that I want to be a part of. Amen.